0: Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for each testimony given tonight. And Lord, that you are even using what is going on at Union to give opportunities to share the gospel and the differences of, of what an independent Baptist church truly is compared to other types of churches. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your safety and, Lord, your protection and just sometimes slowing us down so that... We won't be in the wrong place at the right time. And, Lord, we thank you for protecting us, keeping us in your service, using us in answering prayer. And, Lord, as was said, we just want to thank and praise you for who you are, that you always are the same, good, our God and creator. You're always loving and you're always there to protect us and to keep us. Lord, we thank and praise you for your answers to prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ye kids, the rest of us, if we need an outline. We are continuing our study of the Bible, its origin, history, translation, and preservation. And As we are working our way through, we have gone through the history of the Bible, and we have no reason to doubt that Moses, as the Bible said, wrote the first five books uh, of the Bible. And uh, someone might be a little nitpicky there. The last uh, chapter of the book of uh, Deuteronomy was probably written by Joshua as it gave the account of the death of Moses. Uh, That's not an amazing thing. That doesn't change anything whatsoever. Uh, The books were written in the time period in which they said uh, one of the great criticisms of the Bible is the book of Daniel could not possibly be written by Daniel at the time Daniel wrote it because it is so accurate, it could not be prophecy, it has to be history. Well, if you're God, prophecy can be quite accurate. Amen? Uh, you do not have to change what the Bible says to match what the world says. And uh, we, as we go through our lesson tonight, we're going to find out that really that's that's what happens. It happens in politics. It happens in, uh, in every uh, area of our life. Uh, McDonald's even fell prey uh, to it. When was the last time you ever thought about going to McDonald's to get healthy food? Has that thought ever crossed anyone's mind? And and yet uh, McDonald's fell for that thing and everybody wants healthy food and then they brought back all the greasy stuff and all of a sudden their sales are up again. Uh, I wonder why. Uh, I, I don't, if I want something that's healthy and tastes awful and looks weird, I'll go to a health food store, which i never do. Uh, but if, if what I'm wanting is just a fast hamburger on the road, I go to McDonald's because I know it's going to be the same. It's not anywhere near what you get at a diner or one of those places, but, uh, I'm not wiping sauce off the seat and the steering wheel and the dashboard and the windshield and, uh, uh, and I can eat while I drive and all of those things. I mean, we, we have to understand something. If you're going to change the basis or the foundation on which you started... You change everything. Now, I'm going to try not to get too technical tonight, but we we need to just go through this a little bit. Uh, you've heard the number 26,500 manuscripts and, and things like that that make up the basis of our Greek text and 90% of those, over 90%, closer to 95% of all those manuscripts give us one simple voice. It's called the Received Text, or if you like Latin, the Textus Receptus. It's the text upon which our King James Bible and other translations like it come from. And... uh from about 500 AD maybe a little before 400, 450 up until the 1880s nearly every major translation that the bible was uh, that was made of the bible was made from that family of manuscripts the old italian the diodati was Texas Receptus, just like your King James. The older French version was done about that same time in the late 1500s. It was one of these. The only exception was the Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church worked on a translation called the Douai Reims, which came from the Latin Vulgate or Jerome's Latin Bible. And that Bible is is reflection a reflection of many of what we call the minority text. And the reason I like to use that term is because it's not one even one voice. Uh, it would be very different if you had five uh, percent of that twenty six thousand five hundred. Uh, what does that work out to be? A little over 1200 manuscripts, something like that. Do the math. Help me out there if I'm off by very much. Uh, but of those 1200 or so manuscripts, they don't even disagree. I mean, they don't even agree with each other. They do not present two voices, there's 50 voices. One comes from the majority text, and the other 49 come from the dissident manuscripts. Now, if you had that much disagreement with this little section of manuscripts, why would you use these? The rules of evidence would say, if I have a hundred witnesses to an event, and 95 of them give me a story that is basically in agreement that the people who tell me that uh, the accident was caused by flying saucers hovering over the stoplight, I would, I would uh, as a good police officer, I would probably discount that story, now wouldn't I? And uh, the one that talked about the magic unicorn who was in the crosswalk and the other people who come up with strange and unusual things that have no, balance, uh, no basis in reality, we, using the rules of evidence, would discard those ideas as not being honest. And if someone said, yeah, the, the first car was speeding and, 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 of course, the first thing the police officer is going to say is, uh, so you have a built-in radar into your body. You can actually tell the speed of a car. Well, they looked like that. He said, listen, all we want to know is, is what happened and they start changing their story, does the police officer take that in as hard evidence? Absolutely not. If the story changes as it's told, that's one of the key elements that anyone using the rules of evidence knows to disregard this voice because it is not reliable. Now, have I shocked anybody with this information? But... If you were a modern Bible scholar, modern being, any time from the late 1600s to the present, who wants a new translation, you'd do exactly the opposite. You see, you would take the dissident manuscripts that don't even agree with each other and don't agree with the majority, and you'd say, each one of those is a separate voice, weighing equally with the 95%, and so that now instead of having one voice with a bunch of dissident chatter on the side, now we have ten different reliable witnesses upon whose information we must rely. And that was the basic process. You see... If you're going to have authority to change the rules, to change the words, you've got to change the text. If you're going to change the text, you have to change the rules of evidence. You see, the process of comparing manuscripts is called correlation. Now, you have to remember these manuscripts are written by hand. I mean, and maybe we should have done this, is passed out everybody a sheet of paper and uh, put some uh, Greek figures up here and asked you to copy those as well as you could. Do you think we would get some textual variations especially from people who do not know the Greek language or uh, well form, make the letters and all of those different symbols and things? Of course we would. But if we took them all and put them together, do you think we could recreate the sentence that was up here? I, I think we could. And of course, some of those things you see. I don't know what this is, but it's not great. Let's get rid of it. We'll just put this one aside. We're not going to use that one. And those are the rules of evidence. Well, uh, we're going to go through this as quickly as I can, because these names probably won't mean anything to you unless you're just one of those um, persons that love uh, massive amounts of information. But. We have a man named Johann Bengel, 1687 to 1752. He was the first one to actually classify manuscripts as families. So, this idea that uh, we have families of manuscripts really was not even in vogue, was not used by anyone until the lifetime and the teaching of Johann Bengel. The next guy was. John Greisbach, and he developed 15 canons. Now, a canon is simply uh, a a rule, a, a, a way to think. If you like plain geometry, it would be a postulate. And he gave these 15 canons, or 15 thought processes, and the basis of these now... Mr. Grishback, if he were alive today, which he is not, but if he were alive, he would, he would take issue with the way that I have worded the usage of his canons, but this is what they were. They were rules for questioning and ignoring the Texas receptives. This, this was the beginning. This was the getting the hammer and the chisel and chipping at the dike of evidence uh, of the rules of evidence that had been in use for well over a thousand years at this point, actually, if we take it back uh, to the beginning, uh, since the Bible was written, the uh, the received text, the manuscripts that make up that "quote unquote" family, up until 17 uh, after 178 1687. There was only one group of manuscripts. The idea of dividing them into families had never occurred to anybody. It was good manuscripts and bad manuscripts. Useful ones and unuseful ones. Well, now all of a sudden we have someone saying, well, wait a minute, these are very old. We need to keep them. Uh, We can't disregard anything that's old. Uh, I don't know where he got them, but someone gave my son a a copy of uh, of some uh, currency from the Civil War. And oh, he thought he had something there. And I said, no, no, it's it's, uh, valueless actually, but it's really cool to look at. And uh, uh, as money back then was drawn on individual banks and not the federal government, if you find any confederate currency or even federal currency from the Civil War period. It's basically worthless other than the collector item of just an old piece of paper. And so, uh, yet, that's not what Mr. Lachman did. Carl Lockman, born 1793, died 1851, published the first Greek text for the Bible based solely on dissenting manuscripts. Mr. Lachman was the first one to say that this 5% voices is actually the truth and the 95% is not. The 95% has been accepted uh, not by the Catholic Church, But by the churches that actually taught the Bible and the Protestant churches taught the Bible more than the Catholic Church. And so they used the Anabaptist Bible, which is your received text. Mr. Lockman wanted a Bible that was different. And so he followed in the footsteps of one of the founding fathers. His name was Origen. Origin, if you remember, came up with the Hexophila, uh, a multi-version New Testament. Uh, one of the translations was based on words in the manuscript. Another one was based entirely on numerology. He would take the numerical equivalent of the, uh, the different letters and come up with words uh, that had nothing to do with the text or the letters on the page and, and made a translation that way. By the way, that's not a translation. That is a, uh, I don't even know what you would call that, uh, in need of a visit to one of those special hospital kind of things. And uh, fortunately, Mr. Origen's work has been lost to history. We only know about it as it's referred to, but Mr. Lockman's work is around. Now, here's what John Bergen who was writing in the 1880s, said about Lachman's text. Now, remember, he's supposed to have come up with the true voice of the Greek text. He said, Lachman's text seldom rests on more than four Greek codices, very often on three, not unfrequently on two, sometimes only on one. Only Latin translations and origin for his quotations. So, as he's backing up his changes in the New Testament text, he relies only on the Roman Catholic Latin and origin, who, if we believe what origin said about his own doctrine, has no chance of eternity because he didn't believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, if we go back to the very beginning, how do you understand the Bible? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Holy Spirit of God teaching you. Amen? And so how can a man who doesn't even believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God understand the Bible? And yet, Mr. Lachman based all of his translations and quotations on whatever he had... And uh, the way that John Bergen or, uh, uh, summarized Lachman's work, Older is better, and what I choose is best. So, Mr. Lachman was the first to make the claim of a, of a superior text based on inferior evidence. You see, what we have here is the process of changing the rules. All you have to do if you want to win the game, I don't care what game it is, just own the rule book. If you can change the rules, you can always win the game, can't you? How many of you have ever played with somebody who changes the rules in the middle of the game? That's not fun. Well, listen, this is what these men have done, followed by Samuel Triglis, uh who published the Greek New Testament. His Greek New Testament was based on the work of Lachman. But here was the difference. He offered much careful scholarship. So what he did was take the sloppy scholarship of Lachman and bring it up to the standards of true scholarship. The only problem is the foundation that he was using was so inferior, but he dressed it up and scholarship began to accept what once was considered false and spurious is truth. Then we come to one of the great perverters, Constantine von Tischendorf. He is a, was the discoverer of the famous Aleph, Aleph, and in, in otherwise known as the Codex Synaticus. Now, the reason why it's called the Codex Sinaticus, because it was formed as a book, One of the oldest extant manuscripts of our New Testament, dating back to somewhere around 450 A.D. Now, this is old. It is older than most of our manuscripts by 400 years. Some even older than that. And so, now he had found an ancient manuscript, older than almost anything else anybody had. And he spent his entire adult life trying to acquire this manuscript, managed to get part of it, uh, and managed to get access to the other part of it so that he could come up with a Greek uh, New Testament based upon his uh, work with the Codex Sinaiticus. Now, how many of you are familiar with the story of finding the Codex Sinaiticus? was in a monastery on Mount Sinai. He was there visiting, hunting up old manuscripts. And he noticed that one of the monks was using the pages of an ancient manuscript for fire starter. It was actually in the kindling bin. Uh, if, if you've ever had an old fireplace... What do you do? You take the old newspapers or magazines, you put them in there, and when you want to start a fire, you rip out a sheet, crumple it up, roll it in there, and start the fire with your uh, small wood. Well, that's what they were doing with the Codex Sinaiticus. Now, could I ask you a question? These were uh, Orthodox monks whose main responsibility was the preservation of ancient manuscripts And they had taken this one and put it in the kindling box and were tearing pages out of it to start fires with. Does that kind of give you an idea of what they thought about the value of the manuscript? And Tischendorf had uh, what we would call an epiphany. And made the claim that this was the only extant copy of the true word of God. And he spent his life trying to rescue it. He didn't dare tell the monks how valuable he thought it was. Because then he would never get it. And so he tried to buy part of it. Negotiated and cheated and did everything he could. And finally he comes up with. A New Testament translation, his 8th edition differs with the 7th in over 3,505 places. He published and collated the most perverted or the worst manuscripts, and yet his troubled editions are the basis for all modern translation you will not find a translation in any language, any modern translation, that uses the Greek that does not rely on Tischendorf's work. Because if you relied on anything else, you know what you ended up with? One of these. And no one man or any smaller group of men was going to do as good a job as was done with this, the inferiority would be immediately seen. And so what do you do? You change the rules for evidence. You change the foundation on which the translation is made. And then we come up, and if you read modern books, everyone wants to curse Westcott and Hort. And of course... Uh, they they need a great deal of cursing placed upon their testimony and their names because they are the founder they they finally codified this older is better the man that wrote against them their nemesis was a man named Dean John Bergen they were in the same college there Cambridge at the same time professor Bergen was a wielder of knowledge and logic, and sliced Westcott and Hort and their thought process into pieces, scholar, scholarly, of course, uh, theologically and in every way, and yet Westcott and Hort held the day. Older is better. The voice of one dissident manuscript is equal with the voice of 10,000 newer manuscripts that agree with each other. Now, how that makes sense, I don't know. And uh, the illustration I like to use is the change is complete. The emperor, the emperor now has his new clothes. How many are familiar with the emperor's clothes? Uh The tailor made him an imaginary garment out of imaginary cloth, and the emperor went walking in his birthday suit, and no one dared say anything except a little boy. And finally, the emperor realized, and that's where people are today. And here's what is so amazing 90% 90% of the work, actual scholarship that was done by Westcott and Hort, Tischendorf, and all the rest of these guys is totally disregarded. No one uses it. But they cling ever so tightly to older is better. When everything disproves it, it doesn't matter. They're going to hold on to it. The... Main ingredient now becomes the mind of the translator. And even, I'm I'm quoting uh, uh, Dr. Minton, who was actually a professor at Baptist Bible College. One of the main reasons the college I went to no longer uses the King James Bible or the Texas Receptus was because of the tenure of Ron Minton at the college and his influence there. And he even admits in his own book that no honest scholar uses these principles today. And yet, they've built upon these principles, and so this is where we go. And um, so, we come to point C here on the second page older is best, so the traditional text must be rejected. We formulate the things and, and let's go to Second Timothy here. We need to get some scripture in. I'm sorry for just giving you a history lesson, but this is this is where these things are. And if you don't spend time in the history, those that like to change dates and facts will trip you up for sure. Verse 22, 2 Timothy 2 says, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of the pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing they do gender strife. And this is the process that has been used. Is foolish, unlearned questions, gendering strife... Going against the word of God, it no longer matters what you do. It matters only what you think. You know, this book was never intended to be a theological treatise for smart and super wise scholars to sit and debate. The Bible was always meant as a practical manual on how to live the Christian life. And these scholars left the area of practical Christian living and ended up in a place. Look at verse, chapter, verse one and chapter three. This know also that in the last time, in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boastous, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. If you want the answer to life, it's in the words of this book. It's how we live. But if I can change the words, then who becomes God? The person who changes the words. And that is the process. And I want us to take just a few minutes before we finish tonight and give you a little idea of what was going on in the 1880s. The world which brought this cha- these changes to being. You see, if we maintain the thinking of men like Erasmus, Tyndale, translators of our King James Bible, later on, Dean Bergen and Shribner, then we have to maintain this text and we have the Bible that is there. But the change is reflected also in the history of mankind. The medieval age was an age of slavery. Feudalism is the word they used. That was just another word for slavery. You were born on the land, you were born married to the land, you would have no opportunity. The nobleman controlled the property, and then the nobleman would take your sons and put them in his army. Uh, All of these things happened. Then we come up with the Renaissance. The Renaissance set man, man free. During the Middle Ages, if you disagreed with the church who controlled the state or the state who controlled the church, you died. This is the history of many preachers who preached the Word of God simply and honestly in those days. Well, the Renaissance as people look back in history, it was the greatest thing that ever happened, the Renaissance and the Reformation. Well, actually, I have a tendency to disagree with that a little bit. You see, God's people already knew that the earth wasn't flat, because the Bible says so. They knew that there wasn't some turtle holding it up, because Job says he hung it on nothing. If you read your Bible, so many of these things that were presented as truth would be known to be falsehoods. But people did not read. In fact, the thought process behind the statues in the Catholic Church was simply this. The average person cannot read. And by the way, if you learned how to read and got a copy of the Bible, they burnt you and the Bible... They didn't want you to read because they wanted you dependent upon them for all of your information. What is that? It's called mind control. Nothing new. Communism, anyone? Uh, we, We live in a world and always have. But then we came from the Enlightenment and now man becomes his own god man makes his own rule he he changes everything to fit him well the result of the enlightenment was a man named darwin in 1859 he wrote a book called the origin of the species darwin's book only makes sense if you're willing to accept one postulate There is no God. Uh, By the way, about the same time, 1867, we had an indigent living in the slums of England, London, uh, who, if his friends had not fed his children, they would have starved to death while he sat in the living room writing Das Kapital. That was the kind of man Karl Marx was. You want to know why he developed communism? Because he felt that he was one of those elitists that should never have to work for anything and everyone should provide for him. You know, communism only works for the few that are at the top. How many of you lived under communism? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Then we had the pervert Freud few years later, 1898, 1895 here, his first book, Studies in Hysteria. By the way, the first modern translation not based upon the same text as your King James Bible came out in 1881. Is it a coincidence that all that was happening in the world at the same time? And then Westcott with the critical text, 1881 is right there, and then Einstein with his special theory of relativity. The theory of relativity has nothing to do with mathematics. That's the cover for it. The theory of relativity is to get you to understand that there is no such thing as an absolute. Because if I can divorce your mind and your thinking from the eternal absolute, I can separate you from God. That was what Albert Einstein was all about. He was trying to prove mathematically there is no God. Karl Marx was trying to make the state a God. Man would develop his own God. Uh, uh, Darwin was trying to build a world that didn't need a God. And Freud wanted a world where the human mind could enjoy any type of perversion that it could imagine. You meet any modern psychologist and they'll tell you the same thing that the Bible scholars. We do not base anything we do on Freud. Yep, no more than the modern Bible scholars base everything upon Tischendorf. They lie. Because everything in modern psychology is based upon Freud. We just word it differently. We just couch it in different terms and we try to pretend that we get there from different reasons. The world was changing. And the people who changed wanted a Bible that would change with them. The old time Bible believers are still doing today what they were doing in the first century, and the second, and the third, and so on. What we preached about this morning. They were praying, singing, praying, and trying to get souls saved. They studied the words of God. That was the basis of everything that went on. We live in a world where you can't say your God is better than anybody else's. That's the problem. How many of you have heard that on the news media? Everywhere you go. Well, I'll tell you what, my God is better than all the rest. In fact, none of the rest are gods. Only the God of this book called the Bible. And he's not God because he belongs to me. If he belonged to me, he couldn't be God. I belong to him. You see, if you believe in God, there's only one place you can go. If you don't believe in God, then you can go anywhere you want, but you're always going to end up at the same place. Staring at the reflection in the mirror. Because either he is the God of this book is God. Or you are. And I hate to burst your bubble. You won't do near as good a job as he has already done. We say amen to that. And yet it goes back to the Garden of Eden. Yea, hath God said. I get so tired of people, they want to ask all these questions. Sometimes, Dad, I have a question. Or can I ask you a question? The other night I had Stevie, I mean uh, Joey and Jason on either side. And they were going, Dad, can I ask you a question? I just looked down and said, No. You're not going to answer. No, I'm not going to answer your question. We're going to go get some ice cream, okay? Well, that solved all the that solved all the questions because I gave them the right answer. It's better than the Geico answer on the commercials. Amen. Uh, Let's just go get some ice cream. That solves a lot of problems when you're nine years old now, doesn't it? Well, listen. First Timothy calls it vain jangling. They want to explain God. And by the way, if you can explain him, he's no longer God. You ever thought about that? I don't believe in anything I can't understand. Well, if you could understand God, then either you've got a false God or you're bigger than he is. Actually, both are true at the same time. It's a false God because that's the only way you can understand God. You're not meant to. We have men who are teaching for doctrines of God, doctrines of devils. It's amazing to me. You take the purpose-driven life and you bring it down to its base uh, conclusions, its base summary. And it's this. That God has put desires in your heart that He wants you to pray about until He fulfills them. I want to challenge you. That not, could not be more foreign to the Bible But it congeals perfectly with Buddhism and karma and many of these Eastern religions. I repeat the mantra until I become what I think I should become. The God of the Bible doesn't work that way. You know what? He's not interested in what you want. Because your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. How many people have said, well, if I win the lottery, I'm going to use that money to help people. And within six years, they're either bankrupt or dead. Almost all of them. The only ones that aren't are the ones that are in jail. It's it's terrifying. You see, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And you have these references, and we're just going over them in a very summary fashion. You can read them. Look at verse 3. It says, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, Whereof cometh envy, strife, railing, surmising, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such, turn away. I mean, you turn on TBN, and what is the message? If, if you're good, if God loves you, you're rich, you have everything you want, that's not true never has been read Hebrews chapter 11 It just tells us different from what man says You see the basic summary of this lesson here is Mr. Messrs Westcott and Hort professors at Cambridge University have done to our Bible What Darwin did to science, what Marx did to politics, what Freud has done for medicine, because psychology is not medicine, it's false. You see, if you have an infection and I give you antibiotics, it's going to cure you unless the infection is antibiotic resistant and then we give you stronger and more uh, drugs that will combat that thing. There's no such thing as a person who is antibiotic resistant. It works. It kills everything in your system, the good bacteria, the bad bacteria. It, it, It just does what it's going to do. But if you lined up five people and gave them the same dosage of the same psychotropic drug, you could get anywhere from five to ten different responses. That ought to tell you right there that something is wrong with that realm of medicine. It's not exact. It changes. I remember... When I was in Bible College in a nursing home, uh, they were just discovering the disease that is now known as Alzheimer's. And they brought in one of the most educated doctors in our area. And at that time, they were experimenting with sleeping pills to deal with uh, Alzheimer's because it slowed down the thinking process. And... This is what the doctor quoted. I was just, a, I was a student in Bible college, working my way through school, and they made us sit in on this uh, 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 session taught by this doctor. And he said, listen, if we gave this drug to uh, some people, he says, it works wonders. He says, we give it to other people and it makes them go crazy. He says, we don't know why. So we just have to experiment until we get it right. I'm going, man, I don't want you ever treating me, man, or or my mama. And and then he went on to say, now, if I gave this drug to you, it would make you feel like you're crawling out of your skin from the inside out. I'm saying, if we have such a drug... Why has not the formula been locked up and the quantity of the drug been destroyed? If that's what it does to you, but certain Alzheimer's patients, it worked on. That's not medicine. That is human experimentation based on nothing except the whim and fancy of some nutcase doctor. That's terrifying to me. But it happens. Now you're going to be afraid to go to the hospital. No, no, that's not what we're talking about here. I'm glad we took Philip to the hospital. He was having abdominal pain. We took him to his pediatrician. He said, appendicitis, get in the hospital right away. We got him there. And, of course, when you go to the hospital, what do you do? Wait, wait. The symptoms didn't get any worse. They didn't get any better. So they put him on some real strong antibiotics. Nothing happened the first day, but it didn't get any worse. Therefore, it wasn't appendicitis. And so they decided not to operate. Good move, doctors. kept it up with the antibiotics, gave him some stronger stuff, and he went home without surgery. You know what? We're not complaining against doctors, but what we're talking about are doctors that pretend that they can fix your mind with drugs. You see, you want your mind fixed, there's only one place to go. To him who created it. And he is the one that can help you. Jude summarizes it this way. They speak evil of things that they know not. I would hope today that we would have no one in this room that would be a believer politically in the writings of Karl Marx scientifically in the writings of Charles Darwin, psychologically in that of Sigmund Freud. And by the way, no, no honest psychologist or psychiatrist today will admit any relation to Freud whatsoever because his history of moral perversity and evil are just so well known that they don't want to be identified with it. Everybody wants to be as smart as Albert Einstein, right? I hope not. Albert Einstein was a very intelligent man, yes, but here's where his intelligence led him. As they were developing the atomic bomb, he could not believe that the people and the government of the United States of America was in any way superior to the people and the government of the former Soviet Union. Is that smart? And that's one of the reasons why the Russians were given the bomb. And they gave it to the Chinese. And the Chinese gave it to Kim Jong mentally ill, and now his indigent son is threatening to destroy the United States. Albert Einstein's smart guy. Not in my book. Because the people and a nation and a society who's at least attached to this book as the United States is far greater than a society who is attached to Karl Marx and his theories. Excuse me? There, there is a difference. It doesn't make America the greatest nation ever, period, under any circumstance. But you study history... There's no country that's done what this country has done. And there's no country in the history of mankind that's had a closer association with this book than this one. Look at what happens. That's what I tell these Muslim guys that are all the time out there talking about how great Islam is. I said, show me. Why are you here? Why do you come to this country? Why are you all over Europe? If your countries are so great, if Islam is so wonderful, why aren't you there? Because it isn't. And those countries aren't aren't good enough many situations. Our dogs live better than people do. It's terrible what they do to people. I'm not trying to be racist here trying to be honest you take this book and it changes things and by the way God's people are still doing today what they did a thousand years ago what they did in the recorded history of the book of Acts we haven't changed oh yeah we're wearing suits and ties because we live in America we use computers apostle Paul didn't have one It's okay. But, we're still working with the same words that the Apostle Paul wrote. We don't need to change the words. We need the words to change us. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You and ask that You would help us to see and understand the foolishness both on the left and right, politically. In the realms of science and psychology, as they claim to be so smart and understand things that they just have no idea what's going on. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be simple and faithful to your word. Help us... To allow ourselves not to be moved by the arguments of men who oppose themselves. Lord, we ask that we would be more afraid of offending you than any man or group of men upon this earth. Help us, Lord. In your name we pray and we'll take just a moment and go. If you need to slip out and spend some time at the altar, the altar's open in just a few moments. Won't play the piano tonight, we'll just have a moment of silence and then we'll get into our prayer time.